This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of All Things Considered CX. I'm your host, Bob Asman, the founder of Innovative CX Solutions, a past chairperson of the CXPA, and a practitioner with many years of transforming global operations and designing better customer experiences. Together with our guests and listeners, we seek to discuss, challenge, and create new understanding about how to inspire better experiences in response to ever-changing customer expectations. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the All Things Considered CX Podcast. I'm Bob Asman, and I'm glad to have you back for another one of my episodes. In this particular case, I'm I'm very excited to have our guests join us because we talk a lot about customer experience on this podcast, and we don't often, number one, talk to practitioners, but number two is we don't often talk about service management. And I think this is such an important component. And as you're going to hear from our guest, Kevin Bollum, he is in the midst of this and is really doing some phenomenal work at creating better experiences for his customers. So uh, I'd like to welcome Kevin to our podcast. Kevin, if you would introduce yourself to our listeners. Well, thanks, Bob. I appreciate the opportunity to join you. It's uh, always a great conversation. So I'm looking forward to that today. Um, you know, <clears throat> currently I'm the uh, vice president of customer experience and quality for train commercial products. Now, train is an air conditioning manufacturing. We're really evolving into an energy management company and we're really taking on the challenges associated to climate change and sustainability and helping buildings all over the world come up with new solutions and new approaches to be very friendly to the environment and move towards attainment of sustainability goals that every company is now setting uh, for themselves. Um, as far as history for myself, you know, I, um, I started in consumer products. I love the consumer product side of the business. And so, uh, I mean, my first job was at McDonald's and, and I loved uh, that part of it, learned a ton uh, and brought a lot of perspective at the fundamentals of quality, service and cleanliness on a McDonald's. Uh, but McDonald's helped me get my first job, real career job at uh, Kimberly Clark Corporation, where I made uh, Huggies diapers and Kleenex tissue. So I learned that consumer products and the high volume and what it took to go to market and what it was to what was really trying to be created for a customer experience in places like Walmart and Target. And that's when these places were just growing and expanding and, and exploding um, with how they changed the customer environment for all of us. You know, and from there, I, I learned a ton of information about products, and, and I leveraged that to then move from that field all the way to a completely different field, which is the medical device field. Uh, I moved into that field after a couple of years of actually consulting so I could grow my IT knowledge and my selling skills and, and did that for a couple of years. But it really opened the door to uh, my opportunity to work for Medtronic, who's one of the world's largest medical device manufacturing companies. And learned a whole new environment of what does it take to uh, manage a product that goes into the healthcare process all over the world. You deal with FDA approval process and governmental oversight and all of the aspects of dealing with uh, those very demanding organizations and oftentimes very bureaucratic organizations. And always having to work through all of that of what is it going to take to really create a customer experience that's going to create loyalty with a product. 
uh, I got the opportunity then to uh, join Train, and, and I've been with Train Train Technologies now for 20 years, coming up in 21. Uh, and what I really looked at, and why did I make a switch from a, a great product like medical devices, which is just an awesome industry because you're impacting people's lives, which is such a cool thing. But I really was interested in this concept of an engineered-to-order product line um, because it's very different. I mean, at uh, consumer products and medical devices, you make product, you put it in inventory, and then the sales team and the customer pulls it right out of your inventory. But in trained commercial, which is different than what's a residential product like a lot of you might have at your house, commercial is all custom. It's custom built to what each building needs and what each customer needs, and no building's the same. And so, therefore, it was a really unique opportunity to come in and think about how do you create value for customers and how do you create an opportunity to have a long-term, lifelong relationship with customers uh, that really can be sustaining and help building for growth for a company. And so it's given me a lot of opportunities to learn different fields and experience different things, and uh, uh, I loved every bit of it. So, uh, uh, again, thanks for the opportunity to be with you. That's great, Kevin. One of the questions I have is, and what's impressed me about your background is, as you described it, your ability to move across these different industries, medical or CPGs, medical devices, commercial engineering, and train and so forth. And are there particular elements of what you do in your roles, because you've had similar roles, what you do in those roles that are you can transition across? Because a lot of our uh, listeners, I think, are challenged by that. Well, today I work in, mm-hmm. you know, this industry, and I, I and I and I want to get into a di- different industry, and I can't. But you've been able to take that experience, quality, service management, and transition it across different industries. What are some key elements of that for you? Yeah, I, I think it's it's a great question, Bob, because. Um, as you think about that in one's career, you need to look for those common threads that exist in almost every business. And, and what's really exciting about, you know, what you do here, Bob, with this podcast is, um, you really bring across this element of the customer. I think if you keep the customer at the front of everything you're focused on, it's going to create value that almost any company um, especially on the manufacturing side of it, but I would argue any kind of company anywhere um, really has to have and want to continue to grow their business. The customer is really the culmination of all the activities that occur within an organization. And sometimes that's really hard. I mean, if you look at the finance function in your accounting group, you know, they have a hard time relating to the customer. But I'll tell you some of the best people that I've worked with in finance are the ones that understand what they're doing and how it ties out to the customer. And when I've gone through transitions between um, industries, I will tell you that the examples that I brought to the interview process or to the recruiting process, almost all of those examples came back to those elements of what are you doing to change the experience for your customers so that they're looking at it and going, I can't get that anyplace else other than from you. And when I looked at how um, I did that at Medtronic, where I helped redefine their supply chain, how we went to market, how we managed inventory, how we brought all of those aspects into play for hospitals and surgeons and medical uh, insurance organizations, um, it was amazing because that started to translate, well, how do you do that in, a, in an air conditioning environment where you're looking at the design of buildings? Well, ultimately, you want to change that experience that each customer is going to have 
because of what you bring to the puzzle. And so a lot of my time has been very focused on one of those common threads throughout has been the focus on the customer. The other common thread that almost always exists through almost any company I've interacted with is the ability to drive what I call execution. Um, you know, to drive execution, to have what we call, what, what we talk about a, a high say-do ratio. Our, our definition of say-do ratio is if I say it, I do it and I follow through. And building organizations that execute to what they promise can be a differentiator. And it's one of the things we have at train is our ability to, you know, go out and interact with our customers and we put things in front of them and say, this is what we're going to go do. And it's uncanny how the feedback we get is, you know what, you're the only one that actually follows through like you say you're going to. And you're the only one that executes to the degree that you promise to. And I think that point of execution is one of the other defining elements between highly successful companies and companies that are are getting by. They're still winning in the marketplace, but they're not termed the leader in the marketplace. And I will tell you that I think execution is one of those common threads throughout. Kevin, we, we talk so much about customer sat and NPS and all those are valuable, valuable measurements. But I love this say-do ratio uh, that's related to execution because one of the challenges we have is we collect a lot of data. We learn a lot about our customers, but we don't take action on it. And this say-do ratio is you're, you're really talking about let's execute against it. Let's just not talk about it. Yeah. No, I think that's so true. I mean, I'll give you an example of day before yesterday, I was in um, our weekly um, customer satisfaction. We have a weekly meeting that we review where what happened the previous week for customer satisfaction in our customer experience program. And uh, we got a review in that was not nice, right? It was not kind. It was, you did this wrong. You did this wrong. This person was rude to me. Um, and it was one of those that you go, wow. And, and we have a very high customer satisfaction score. And so when you get one of these in, you look at it. And, and um, as I got it in from a corporate headquarters standpoint, as the vice president, I was looking at it. And I immediately, when I got it and, and we went through it, I reached out to the regional manager for that area. And it was um, in Philadelphia. And I reached out to the Philly team. And I said, whoa, guys, this is not the kind of reviews we usually get. And what was great was the local team was already responding. They had already had, um, they'd already set up a conference call with the customer. Um, and not to be defensive, the part that I love is we don't go into those defensively. We go in and go, wow, we messed this up. This was wrong. We're going to get this right. What does it take to do it? And the fact of how fast we followed up, because the person submitted the, the survey on Friday, Tuesday, I already had it was taking action, as was the local office taking action. And then yesterday afternoon, I followed up and say, how did those calls go? And, um, you know, first we started out saying, hey, we apologize. We clearly missed this. Um, here's, here's what we're going to do to make it right. What else can we do? And the customer was blown away. They were like, I can't believe you took this survey thing this serious. Mm-hmm. And, and the fact that we executed to that speed and, and the good news of the story was by the end of Wednesday, the customer was like, Geez, this is why I love doing business with Train. You guys follow up. You're always going to be there, and you have my back. I love that. And the interesting part was he said, you know what? I need a new service agreement. And I, I was thinking about going with the local contractor, but could you guys do that service agreement instead? And so it actually drove growth for our business because we're going to get an incremental contract out of it 
because of our follow-up and that execution and that element of I said I was going to do it and I'm going to do it, the say-do ratio. So it can be really a lot of fun, and it's great to have those mm-hmm. times when you actually deliver business growth because you have a customer satisfaction program that's so straightforward. Well, it's a, it's a fantastic example of a great service recovery process, and we talk a lot about that in customer experiences. You know, mistakes are going to happen. Missed customer expectations are going to happen, but how you recover from that could really, to your point, and we talk about this all the time, is it can actually build loyalty at the time of high customer dissatisfaction. If you solve it quickly and effectively, you can actually build loyalty. And that is exactly what happened with the example you gave, which is, which is a fantastic example. You know, I think we have to recognize in today's environment, Bob, that people are inundated with customer satisfaction surveys, right? Every time you get off a Delta airplane, I fly Delta a lot. I love them. They've taken care of me for a lot of years. Um, but you get off their plane and, and within hours, sometimes minutes, uh, you get a satisfaction survey, right? So you fill it out and that's the end of it. And I think so people are accustomed to that approach where you just feed data in, you never see anything from it. But if you take the time to set up your program so that the incoming survey can send a signal, in our case, when we get a bad score, it gets flagged and we look at it and then follow up on it. It turns it from uh, people are just amazed because they're so used to it just going into a, you know, call it the black hole. And so it really can be powerful when you go after it. Kevin, I know that you are well-read and you stay in tune to the marketplace, not only um the markets in which train operates, but, but overall, let's talk a little bit about, you mentioned Delta. What do you, what, from your perspective, what is the state of service management right now as from your perspective? You know, service management is really entering into a a brand new, um, I don't know if it's a chapter even, it might be a whole new book. There's a couple really key aspects that are, that are occurring across the service industries. First of all, let's deal with the, the biggest challenge that's existing is that there's not enough service people to go do all the service work. Um, when we look at the pipeline of people coming in, um, you know, the, the shortfall in the trades marketplace um, is overwhelming to look at it. I mean, there are going to be key aspects, key roles in HVAC and plumbing, electrical, carpentry, building, all of these key areas that there are just major shortfalls in enough people coming to the market to work in these fields to satisfy the demand that's there. Um, because a lot of our folks are retiring out and they're not coming in at the same rate. So it's a really fundamental challenge that every service organization, if you're running a service organization, I know you already know it. If you don't and you're like you're dependent on a service industry, you better recognize that almost every, I don't know of a service industry that has enough. I mean, that's just the reality of where service is at. So one, you better be thinking about that. Then secondly, the other part that's exciting, and it's the start of another, the reason it's another book rather than a chapter, is how you're doing service is really starting to change in the sense of how you leverage digital capability. Service that has linkage via the cloud and service that has the capability to take advantage of system capability and in the coming years, artificial intelligence and all of those aspects that are going to be applied to service are changing the game completely. Because if there's not enough service people out there, you're going to have to find ways to bring service to where it needs to be applied in new ways, automation, technology, um, anticipation. Instead of going and doing the uh, service call three times, is there a way to do it twice and get all the same work done? 
You know, and so we have examples where today through the leverage of technology and the fact that we're connected to over a million uh, different devices around the world right now, we can look at those. And if we have a service agreement for those given pieces of equipment, we can watch them through our technology and understand if they're starting to look like they might fail, we can go out in advance and save the unit from failing and call it destroying itself while it fails to anticipating doing a small fix and sustaining its life to be longer. But that's only going to occur because you have digital capability. You're connected to those pieces of equipment. And we see that as the big change is how you're going to be doing service through technology and connection and anticipation rather than just standing back and waiting for the customer to call to say, hey, my building's too warm. My building's too cold. The electricity isn't on. The lights don't work. All of that's going to change. And the service industry is really going to change um, how it takes on those challenges. And one thing you have to keep in front of all of that, again, is that customer element. What's it going to mean for the customer? Um, does the customer understand all of these factors coming together? And when we look at our customer satisfaction information and, and our customer expectations, the, the, the ones that really run great buildings, they understand this. They understand the value that a customer can or a, a service provider can bring to them because of all these different factors. And, and keeping that in front of those customers is going to be very key to maintaining that loyalty. So it's a rapidly changing field across the board, and uh, it's going to be an exciting time ahead for the next uh, 10 years for sure. No question about it. And, and it's uh, amazing, but not surprising that train is out ahead and, and, you know, being able to monitor these systems. That's a really interesting example you gave. And uh, it's almost borderline on the preventative maintenance mm-hmm. side of it because you're monitoring these systems so effectively. What do you think um, when you talk about the digital capabilities um, do, do you look at this out, you know, five years from now, two years from now? How rapidly is it changing? I guess is the bottom line question. Yeah, I think that, um, it's changing, it's changing pretty darn quickly. Um, you know, one example I'll share with you is that, um, we're now connected to well over a million pieces of equipment around the world. Three years ago, that number was probably like 200,000. So think fivefold in two years. Um, Ten years ago, the elevator industry um, basically didn't have any connectivity to elevators. Um, and uh, that's probably more like 15 years on the elevator industry. But now every new elevator goes in fully connected, fully automated. The elevator industries are really, it's kind of my little pet one that I love to follow because no one thinks of it, right? It's just to get in an elevator, go up and down. Oh, this one goes fast. This one goes slow. That's about all you notice. But they're leveraging connected capabilities in some really neat ways to change the experience, understand when elevators aren't meeting their expectations, um, being able to get out and do preventative maintenance before things fail, uh, all of the different aspects that come into play. And, and I think it's going to continue to rapidly change. Now, how fast artificial intelligence um, comes along, Bob, is really going to be probably a key player here. Because if we get more and more comfortable with artificial intelligence, there's a large play for artificial intelligence in service um, across all kinds mm-hmm. of buildings, all kinds of different aspects of what's happening. Uh, think of your automobile. And if you, as you start to introduce more and more artificial intelligence into that, um, and the fact that they're all, so many of them are connected, 
um, that's just going to drive a whole new experience, a whole new aspect to how things are um, you know, going to be taken care of from that service color perspective. And so I think in two years, you're going to be looking at a completely different um, playing field for service. We might not be there yet in two years, but in two years, I think we'll know where we're going to be. And uh, it's going to point us to another two years down the road where there's going to be rapid change. And uh, this is a, uh, the service industry. Like I said, it's, it's going to go so fast when it starts to happen. I, I would agree with you a hundred percent on those comments. One of the other aspects you briefly mentioned in, in your previous comments, Kevin, was um, the workforce and, um, you know, what I would characterize as a war on talent, war for talent, excuse me. Mm-hmm. And so how are you dealing with that in a service organization that I'm sure employs lots and lots of people across the world? Yeah, we have, you know, we have over 3,000 um, service technicians in the uh the commercial air conditioning side, uh, if you take into account what has to change in the residential side, where it's tens of thousands of service mm-hmm. technicians that are out there. Um, now, we've really started to take a much more proactive approach, Bob. Um, we literally now have started to introduce the, the idea of working in the trades, working in service, what it is to work in this area. And we literally... Uh, we've set up well-established relationships, for example, with technical colleges uh, where we're funding and providing equipment into those facilities. We're providing um, internship and co-op relationships for those students uh, where we are actually creating curriculum and helping schools certify their service programs um, so that they can, they can graduate people into the workforce uh, along that line. And so we have great partnerships both on a national basis with a number of technical colleges and, and technical college organizations, um, as well as local ones uh, doing it one at a time. We haven't found any easy way to do this. This is basically roll up your sleeves and go out there and establish the relationships that you have to have. Um, we love establishing the relationships with the technical colleges that are, are training people. You know, we give them pieces of equipment so they can train the people on our pieces of equipment. Causes two things. One is when kids go to school or, or young adults go to school or adults go to school, they want to go work with what they get trained on. So if they're working on a train unit inside the classroom, they're going to feel comfortable wanting to go work on train units um, in the, the workforce. So you get one side there. The other thing is, is when you're the sponsor and you're putting your equipment in there, you're the one establishing the relationship with the faculty and the administration. And guess what? You get to go ask very candid questions like, who's the best technician in the room? And guess what? When you're going to go after, when they tell you it's, you know, it's uh, Sally or it's Joe, you're going to go after Sally and Joe for everything you're worth because you know that's the best talent. So you get it from that perspective. But we've gone further than that. Today, we have programs where we're actually working in high schools and in middle schools on these same topics, introducing the concept of working in the trades, introducing the idea of being a technician and look at the things you get to go do. And uh, it's very purposeful because we believe we have to start early in organizations to create the momentum over time so that people are interested in following these paths for their careers. Um, and, you know, it's no coincidence. We do things with Boy Scouts and Girl Scout programs and a number of programs like that that create a couple different things. One is you're introducing the concept of climate change and sustainability to these younger ages. 
And then you're also introducing them to look at the opportunities that are going to be ahead of you if you chose to pursue this kind of industry, both, you know, from a technician standpoint or even from like a design engineering standpoint. So we're getting even more engaged all the way down to the middle school and and before to help create change and create excitement for these areas in service. That's really uh, fantastic. uh, And some of the work you're doing to really build that momentum early on. Um, Kevin, one of the things I also want to talk to you about is, and, and it might not be specific to service management as it is specific to train, but you mentioned sustainability. And I know that's a topic that many of our listeners are concerned about is what what are some of the things that you're willing to share that train is doing in the area of sustainability? Yeah, we've really um, developed uh, quite a passion and, and basically recentered our entire train technologies um, strategy over the long run to begin to address this area of sustainability and providing solutions to our customers in the area of climate change and energy management. Everyone should know that, you know, well over 50% of all energy consumed is consumed by buildings. So, Buildings, broad definition, your home's a building, your school's a building, your hospital is, the office you're in. Think of how broad that that goes, that um, energy is consumed at those levels. Today, we offer a number of alternatives and different paths for schools, cities, hospitals. Uh, We have a number of partnerships with the whole city where we've worked with that city to develop their long-term sustainability solutions for how they're going to guide their city towards being a more sustainable city for our our, um, environment. Um, So we'll come in and we'll work with them to redefine energy strategies, how to upgrade their buildings. Uh, We're currently advancing. We do a lot of work in the area of um, LED lighting. Uh, We do a lot of work in the area of solar. Uh, We do a lot of course right inside buildings with heating, cooling, electricity, controls, management, all of these elements coming together to redefine, you know, the footprint and the carbon footprint that each building and each uh, of our customers is, uh, you know, really has within the, the world around them. And um, what we're finding is, is there was a lot of pressure on publicly traded companies um, two and three, four years ago to come out and define and say, we're going to go out and be carbon neutral by a certain date, or we have a sustainability strategy of X, Y, and Z to be accomplished by 2030, 2040, and 2050. And so a number of those companies have done that, which is um, uh, an exciting thing for our environment. But now the reality is hitting that those companies really don't know how to do it. And Train as a company will come in and we partner with companies that are trying to change their footprint and their impact. Uh, we'll come in and do energy assessments. We'll come in and do a full look-see at the different options that they would have in front of them. And then we can help define that go-forward plan that includes different technologies and different partners that can create a whole new environment for that given company and, and how it's going to impact uh, its long-term, you know, call it sustainability goals. So uh, we're in almost every aspect of sustainability. And uh, it's a really exciting time to see these customers that are literally changing uh, their entire business to be aligned with these sustainability and long-term environmental goals that they have. That, that is really um, fascinating and, and great to hear. Um, and, and so uh, important for um, organizations such as train to be leading the way on that. So I, I appreciate your 
comments on that. Um, so bringing us back a little bit to service management as we near the end of our time together, Kevin, what does the day in the life of Kevin look like when you're at work and, and running the organization that you're in charge of? Yeah, you know, I've been here for 21 years, and uh, one of the exciting things about my business and my role right now is that um, every week I learn something new about our company and our customers. Um, every day really has a lot of variety. Now, when you're leading quality and customer experience, recognize that there's a lot of things coming your way that aren't always uh, real rosy, right? You're, you're pulled into a lot of situations that uh, where a customer's not very happy. Um, but I would tell you that I probably spend half of my time on dealing with the development of our customer relationships and making sure we're doing the things to continue to advance that and, and deal with the problems and things like that. But the other half of the time, I get to spend thinking about and driving the strategy side of what are we going to do different to differentiate ourselves over the long run. It's very key that you put together your thoughts and strategy about that customer experience. Because if you don't, it'll just evolve by itself and make it to a good place. It may not, or it might just stay exactly as it is. But when we start to lay out our plans of the customer experience, how we're going to measure it, how we're going to follow up on it, the type of new equipment, new strategies, new services we're going to provide to continue to advance that experience is very critical. But I'll tell you, the toughest part of my job is we can define the strategy, but when you're an organization that has uh, an office in every city in America, every larger city in America, so we've got 140 sales offices, we've got 12 different plants, the ability to go drive change so that you can be aligned to that new strategy and that new value is where you really have to spend your time because you need to bring people along on the journey. You can set the strategy. You can start to measure it. But if you don't bring the organization along, create the excitement, the energy, the value that's in it for each of those people out there and so that they can understand it and are willing to change to help change the customer experience, you're not going to get to where you really have uh, your vision set for. So a lot of my time is spent on that interaction of, hey, here's what's new. Here's why we're doing it. Here's what I need you to do. Here's why it's important to you. And here ultimately is what it's going to do for our business. And so change management in big organizations is really a challenge like, uh, you know, Bob and our whole audience probably knows. And so I got to spend a lot of time there. Uh, but that's really where you start to make the difference. Because when you do that right and you're methodical with it, and you stick with it over the long run, you really can change the environment for your business and uh, what your customers think of you as a partner. Kevin, you've just really nailed it from that standpoint of customer experience, because that is what it's all about, right, is transformation and change and effectiveness. So I, I couldn't agree more with your comments. This has been a great discussion Kevin, we're really happy that you joined us, and I'm really happy that you're helping kick off this kind of additional part of my podcasting series around service management. And I asked the same question of all my, this last question of all my guests, and that is, any final words of wisdom for our listeners before we wrap up our podcast? You know, the, the thing that comes to mind, Bob, that I think people should really keep the perspective on is that there is so much opportunity in this area, so much opportunity in the services arena um, to really change the customer experience. Um, you know, you don't have to look far to find these people that have literally changed 
the experience change of the world and Amazon change of the world, right? We look at Amazon and what they've done and the different aspects of how they've changed our world. And, you know, they've fundamentally took a, a service, which was getting us goods one way or the other and changed the world because of it. And I'll tell you in the service areas that are out there, the opportunity is unlimited. People can go change the world um, because of the technology that's out there and how they could go to market. It's an exciting field. And so um, take on the challenge, uh, you know, run with it um, and don't be afraid to try. Um, you know, we really have to preach the give, let, let's try. And if we fail, that's okay. Admit it, own it and try again. Um, that ability to do things in this service world, the, the world's really wide open to it, and it's going to really be a benefit uh, moving forward. But I really appreciate the opportunity, Bob. It's been a, a great chat, and I uh, look forward to uh, more opportunities in the future. But uh, I want to wish everyone the best of luck, and uh, thanks so much. You bet, Kevin. Thank you. Kevin Bullum, our guest from Train, talking about service management today. We really appreciate um, your participation, Kevin, and uh, listeners, there's some powerful messages here from Kevin, firsthand experience, and and I'm sure all our listeners have all noted um, his passion uh, for um, the customer, and that is that is really reflective. So this has been a, another episode of the All Things Considered CX podcast. As always, thank you very much for joining us, and if you've enjoyed this podcast, Please share it with your network as well as other podcasts as part of the CXFM radio network. Until we meet again, I am Bob Asman, your host. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of All Things Considered CX. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your colleagues. Subscribe to our show, follow me on LinkedIn, and visit my website at InnovativeCX.com for more insights on creating better experiences. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.